Let's open our Bibles, please, to Psalm 45. And this is a song of love. If you notice in the introduction, it says a song of love, L-O-V-E-S. And the composer, of course, is what we find out the very first thing. And we find that this composition comes from the heart, because in verse 1 it says, My heart is indicting a good matter. When a person's heart indicts a good matter, a composer of a good hymn comes from the heart. It's not just mechanical or just to write words down to make them rhyme or poetry. But a composer of a good hymn, it's a heartfelt thing, and and he composes the hymn from the heart. And that's what this psalm is as well. And the Bible tells us that we're to speak in our hearts to the Lord. It says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's Ephesians 5 verse 19. So all of our songs, whatever they be, whether they're in the hymnal or whether we just sing from our own words. Have you ever just been going down the road or walking out in the, in the open or wherever you are in the home or, and singing? And maybe not to anyone's words or tune, but something you just sing to the Lord. Well, that's a good kind of singing if it comes from the heart. And then it says, uh, My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. Now then, we know that uh, the psalmist here was speaking of King David or the king in his day. But uh, what about our king, the Lord Jesus Christ? The Bible says that, he is coming as King of kings and Lord of lords, and he'll have on his vesture and on his thigh a name written which no man knows but himself. And so he is going to come as king. And it says, My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. The psalmist was gifted with a skill of praise. And like a ready writer, notice this, a ready writer. He was ready to do the work that was uh, laid upon his heart to do. He was ready to serve, and in his case, he was gifted with the skill of praise and and to write this hymn. In Ezra seven verse six, the Bible says, "A ready scribe in the law of Moses." That means prepared. If he was a ready writer, as far as the song song was concerned, and and there was a ready scribe of Moses in Ezra seven verse six, and we're to always be ready and prepared to do what God has gifted us to do. And by the way, you don't do it without preparation. You need to prepare yourself for the work that God has called you to do. And that's, uh, you know, he says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, verse 2 gives us the king's beauty. It says, Thou art fairer than the children of men. There is none like him. The Song of Solomon expresses the beauty of the Lord. You know, it says in Song of Solomon 4, verse 1, Behold, thou art fair, my love. It shows, uh, by the way, the Song of Solomon shows the love of the Lord to his own and his own to, his, to, to, to love God. It works both ways. It shows God's love to us and our love to God. And that's basically the Song of Solomon. If you wanted to sum it up with two thoughts, that's what it would be. And all the other things correspond and come into view. And uh, another verse in uh, Song of Solomon 2, verse 1 says, He's the rose of Sharon and he's the lily of the valley. And we sing a song to that effect. So we see the king's beauty. And then we see something else in verse 2. Now, if you follow down, all these statements are prepared, uh, two or three statements in each verse that show you something direct. It says, Grace is poured into thy lips. 
We know that there's never one that has spoken like Jesus. The Bible says in John 7 verse 46, Never man spake like this man. In Luke 4 verse 22 it says, They wondered at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. If you remember Luke chapter 4, he's referred back to Isaiah and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty them that are bruised. And he goes on, sums up to preach the acceptable year to the Lord, closed the book and he sat down and they began to hear his words. He began to teach them and preach to them, speak to them. And it says they wondered at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. Remember the two on the road to Emmaus later on after his resurrection? And they said, did not our heart burn within us while he spake to us by the way? Have you ever noticed that when God's word is spoken, even sometimes through the teaching and ministry of the word, your heart becomes involved in it? And if, if men of ordinary character are God's uh, servants, that their hearts are stirred by the word of God, think of how much more the great teacher and the Lord himself when he spake, fully anointed with the Spirit of God, how that your heart would burn within you. And uh, so we find that uh, it says, Grace is poured into thy lips. In, ver in verse 2 again, Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. God's eternal, uh, eternal blessings rest upon him. Let me read some scripture for you in the book of Acts chapter 10. Let's begin reading with verse 38. It says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And it goes on and on to tell us of the glories of, of Christ. Now then, uh, in our psalm, hold your place where we're studying. Look in verse 3. It says, uh, Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty. We find the, the king's glory spoken of here. And the sword speaks of his power. Remember, Jesus is spoken of as the Alpha and Omega in Revelation 1.8. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 19, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty. And it says in verse 4, And in thy majesty ride prosperously because of because of truth and meekness and righteousness. And thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. His majesty. What's he talking about? Because of thy truth and meekness and righteousness. Jesus is truth. And his word is truth. He says he is grace and truth. He says the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And meekness? What about Christ's meekness? said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am what? Meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what about righteousness? The Bible tells us that he is the righteous one. 
Paul tells of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and he says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, now listen, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So he is all that. He's wisdom to us. He's righteousness to us. He's sanctification to us. And he's redemption to us. He imputes his righteousness to us and he imparts his righteousness unto us. Imputed righteousness is how we are counted before God. Imparted righteousness is what he makes us because of his grace. Some people say, well, I have imputed righteousness. Well, great. Do you have imparted righteousness as well? Do you have a life that goes along with it so that you can can, uh, live like God wants you to live at the same time? We have imputed righteousness. That, That is, he gave us this and he justified us. But he also imparts righteousness and he makes us to... Uh, live as new creatures in Christ Jesus. Okay? Now look at verse uh, 5. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. Wherefore, the people fall under thee. Thine arrows are sharp. Think of this. The, the fact that the Lord knows exactly how to deal with individuals. His arrows of conviction are sharp. And that which... It says, and they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one. When they accused the woman that was taken in adultery, and Jesus rode on the ground and he says, he says, he that's without sin among you, let him first cast a stone. And you know what? It says they went out one by one from the least to the greatest. They all went out, didn't they? Because of the sharp arrows of conviction. His words so convicted them that they were still sinners too. And by the way, the word there means he that is without this very same sin. She was accused of immorality. It doesn't mean just any sin. Did you just do something wrong or did you just speak a word out of uh, anger? Or did you, do, did you make a mistake or did you sin? Or it, it was not talking about sins and shortcomings. He says, he that is without this very same sin... And that's the word, the, what the word indicates there. Let him first cast the stone. They were saying, they were, they were admitting that they were all immoral as well. If not in deed, but in mind and thought. At least in some respect. And it was enough air of conviction that they went out one by one. And then his throne is everlasting. Look at verse 6. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of, of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Paul quotes this in the book of Hebrews. And remember, he says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. And he quotes it as applying to the Lord. He says, but in Hebrews chapter 1, But unto the Son, he, God, the Father, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. That's what he's quoting from this scripture in in a variation of words. So he's applying it to the Lord Jesus Christ. You've heard us quote that many times because it tells that he's anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows. In fact, I think it says something more about uh, that in the next verse or two, at least implies it. It does in verse 7. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. You see, God's love for righteousness is just as equal as his hate for wickedness. Someone says God is a God of love. Yes, God hates sin and wickedness. You see... You have to have, to be just, you have to have this equality of loving righteousness and hating sin. And it wouldn't hurt if you and I got a good dose of that, would it? Because we ought to hate evil. It says, love the good and hate that which is evil. 
shun that which is evil. Shun the very appearance of evil. And I know you say, well, preacher, we're not all, all perfect. No, none of us are. But we can, we can move in that direction. And the more we do, the more God will bless us and help us with, the, with our sins and shortcomings, which all of us have. You remember old Isaiah, when he prayed, he says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah, a prophet. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. We usually say, well, you know, I'm dwelling in the midst of people that are unclean, but we never admit we, we are too. And then what did they took live coal from off the fire, the purging fire, and touched his lip and purged his, purged his lips. So without God's purging and cleansing, we still have unclean lips, right? So we need that cleansing. And only can we receive it by grace. By the grace of God, Paul says, I am what I am. So his throne is an everlasting throne, and his love for righteousness we've seen. Now in verse uh, 7 it says, Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. The oil of gladness, speaking of the joy of the Lord. It says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The oil of gladness was the anointing of the Holy Spirit so that in the midst of even... Uh, being put to death on the cross, he could be joyful. <clears throat> he could rejoice in the fact that he was going to be delivered out from the grave and resurrected the third day and redeem a lost and sinful mankind by his sacrifice on the cross. This was the joy that was set before him. It's just like, you know, a woman in travail. She's in pain and in, in travail, but... Look at the joy when a child is delivered, is born. Then the pain is over, and she looked forward to that joy of that newborn child because of the, and, and even through the suffering, she endured it because a man child or a child, a baby a girl was born. I heard Mrs. Logston say Sunday morning we were talking about mothers of the most children, you know, and we had three here with four children. And she says, I have four girls. And I said, well, that counts. <laughs> girls count too. So we're, we were thankful to have a corsage for all these three ladies that had, had uh, four, four children. And Vicki already had one on, so she was gracious enough to stand up with the others that we had too. But anyway, uh, we find that uh, the joy for that which is before us sometimes is is great enough that we can endure the pain of the suffering before it, can't we? If there's always hope of deliverance and hope of relief, then we can be joyful even through the trial. But if there's no hope, you know the worst thing in the world is to have no hope. But if you've got hope, if, if you're very sick, if you have a terrible thing happen to you, if, if life holds no pleasures at the moment, if there's hope for beyond there, then you can look beyond the suffering and the heartaches and the trial and look for the hope. And that's what we're looking for. You know, God always puts a rainbow there, doesn't He? In the clouds. And that speaks of His token of promise that He's going to keep true to His covenant. Not only for the world, but he, we have a covenant that's written in the blood of Christ and established upon His shed blood, that His covenant of grace for you and I, His eternal, our eternal security in the blood of the Lamb. Couldn't ask for better than that. It's just as sure as that God put the rainbow in the sky that he would not again flood the earth and destroy it by water. 
And it's never happened through these centuries and centuries and centuries because God said, I'm going to make you a promise. He made it back there in Noah's day. And he said, I'm going to give you a symbol, a token of this promise. And every time when that rain comes and the sun shines through, you'll see that the bow in the cloud. And God says, I've made a new covenant in the New Testament. You read Hebrews chapter 9 and chapter 10. He says, there's a new covenant. And that new covenant is based upon the shed blood of Christ. This is the New Testament in His blood. And this guarantees that what God has covenanted with us, our salvation, our eternal redemption, is sealed with the blood of Christ. And every time we think of Christ's shed blood, we can be guaranteed that God is going to keep His word, that we're saved eternally. People talk about worrying about their salvation. Listen, once you have it, don't worry about it. God gave it to you. Just thank Him for it and try to live accordingly. But just thank Him. Salvation is by grace. You didn't do anything to earn it. By the way, you can't do anything to earn it. And by the way, you can't do anything to keep it. God keeps you. He keeps you by His power. The Bible says you're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, read to be revealed in the last day. And so I'm thankful that we have a keeper of our soul as well as a saver of our soul. So if you look at this next verse, uh, verse 7 says, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And by the way, if you have Hebrews chapter 1, these words are quoted by the apostle in Hebrews 1. And not verbatim, but you'll find that the general uh, trend of the verses is spoken of. Okay, it says in verse 8, All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces whereby they have made thee glad. Look at that. All of thy garments smell of myrrh. The sweet spices, the precious uh, garments of the Lord Jesus Christ. We find that his garments were parted when he was crucified. They wanted to part his garments among them. The soldiers did. But they, they gambled over the robe, didn't they? They gambled over it. They said, let us not rend it. We're going to see whose it shall be. And that was according to the prophecies in the Psalms too. All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces whereby they have made thee glad. King's daughters were among thy honorable women. If we think of the Lord's blood, uh, uh, his bride and his uh, his court. King's daughters were among thy honorable women. Upon thy right hand did stand the queen in gold of Ophar. This must indicate the king's bride. And his friends. The Bible says that angels came and ministered unto him. The women ministered unto him of their substance. Their substance that they had. They ministered unto him. When we think of the king's bride, beginning with verse 10, it says, Hearken, O daughter, and consider, and incline thine ear. Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. Hearken, O daughter, and consider, and incline thine ear. She must give the king first place in her heart. You know, Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We do not always do what we want to do. If we are God's children... Eventually, all believers will make up the bride of Christ in the book of Revelation 19. Let me read it for you, and then we'll come back to this and talk some more about it. But Revelation 19, it says in verse uh, 7, 
Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Now look, listen. For fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he, said, he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. So we're t- uh, talking about the bride. We need to give, as believers, we'll all in eventually make up that bride that will be with the Lord before he comes back to this earth in power and great glory. Because in Revelation 19, the context that we read is right before he comes back to this earth with the heavenly army and with his heavenly bride. And we as believers are going to make up that number because we'll be considered to be righteous in fine linen, clean and white. We have on the robe of Christ's righteousness imputed to us and the imparted righteousness that we have as a result of his power in us. And therefore, we're going to come back with the Lord. We're going to be clothed in righteousness, in fine linen, clean and white. For this is the righteousness of saints. Now, in Revelation chapter 4, you're already caught up to be with the Lord. And the great tribulation takes place from Revelation 4 through Revelation 19. And I know I don't know what all these uh, prophecies are going on, but I know what the Bible teaches. I didn't go to some of their classes they had down to Enchantment Inn. I don't know how many of you did, but... Uh, when you listen to prophecy, get your feet on the ground. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I didn't hear it. But you know they've been advertising that. Some of you get some of that advertisement stuck on your doorknob and on your car and on your windshield and everywhere. Well, anyway, there's several of them going around. And it's been going on and may still be going on. I don't know. I don't keep up with it that much because I find that if you stick to the simple things, you'll come near understanding them. But anyway... Uh, we're going to have, we need to give the Lord first place in our heart, as the Bible teaches, to be the bride. In verse 11, it says, So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty, for he is thy Lord, and worship thou him. The king desires inward beauty. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty. What kind of beauty does he want in us? Peter tells us, First Peter chapter, uh, let's see. 5 verse 3 and 4, or is it 3 verse 3 and 4? Let me read it for you. First Peter chapter 3 verse 3 and 4. Speaking of women in their uh, chaste conversation and appearance as uh, compared to others that have given that example. It says uh, in verse 3, Who's adorning? Who's adorning? Let it not be out the outward adorning. That outward adorning of the plaiting of the hair, wearing of gold, or putting on apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart, the hidden person of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, that holy women ought... The holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters are ye, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. So it says, let it not be. Now, it doesn't mean you cannot have some outward uh, appearance that is nice. But it says, let that not be the thing that you're trusting in to show yourself. Let it not be. But let it be the hidden man of the heart. See, In other words, put the priority upon that inward appearance that comes from the heart rather than all that goes on the outside. 
And you know that would be well for men as well as women. That's well for all believers in the Lord. To let it, our appearance be not what we have on outwardly, but what we have in inwardly. And let that come forth to all people. And then she must, rec- she must not only have that inward beauty, but she must recognize Him as Lord. Notice. For He is thy Lord, verse 11, and worship thou Him. He is thy Lord. Remember when Thomas recognized the Lord after he disbelieved, he said, my Lord and my God. When he saw Jesus, and Jesus showed him the nail prints in his hands and in his feet and in his side. And he says, Thomas, you reach hither your finger and thrust it into my hand. Reach hither your hand and thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And we should recognize him as Lord. Oh, there's a great dispute and I just read some information is in the office. I think Nancy brought it from one of the churches that sent something. They're always sending stuff in these big uh, uh, folders and big business-like envelopes and different ones arguing about accepting Jesus as Savior or accepting Him as Lord. I never found much difference myself. But anyway, they argue over it. You know, one guy will say, well, did you accept Him as Lord? Did you accept Him as Savior? Well, it's always been... Immaterial to me, I, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Lord. And uh, we, we're saved by grace and we don't all live as we should before Him. And he, we don't all make Him what He needs to be in our lives. But nevertheless, we're still saved by grace. But uh, the more we do make Him Lord over our lives and in our lives, the, the better our life will be. You know, I never find it profitable to quibble about those real fine details there. But you find them doing it. They got Mac, John MacArthur and and uh, different ones in their uh, churches, Baptist churches, independent Baptist churches will fly off the handle and write. They'll write to one guy, another one will write to another, and say, "Now, do you believe it this way or that way?" Well, why don't they just get the Bible and start preaching it and forget the whole thing? That might solve a lot of the problems. But we must recognize Him as our Lord and Savior. It says here. Listen to this. It says, For He is thy Lord, and worship thou Him. We don't worship anyone else. We worship Him. Verse 12 says, And the daughter of Tyre shall be there with a gift. Look at this. Even the rich among the people shall entreat thy favor. Golly. Look at the influence of the bride and how it should cause others to worship thee. The daughter of Tyre shall be there with a gift. Sometimes, Do you ever wonder why some people... Uh, in a church that respects the Lord and that preaches and teaches the Word of God, gets gifts from other people around the country, and they send it in because they believe in it, the daughter of Tyre is going to bring a gift because of the influence of those that belong to the king. And you know, you don't have to go asking it out and ask the daughters of Tyre to bring the gifts. The Lord has control over that. And you know what I found? That a church that preaches and teaches the Word of God, God will provide the monetary provision for it. And we don't have to always be up here begging for money. Saying, oh, please give this or we're going to go under. Leave it to God and, and do it as God would have us to do it. And He'll take care of those provisions for us. And, you know, there's, there's a, a many places where they have to soften their message. Afraid they'll offend someone because, you know, they got one or two in the congregation doesn't believe exactly that. If you offend them, brother, they'll hold back their dollars. Well, never mind. You know, the Lord, He has control over dollars too, doesn't He? He has control over everything. And you preach the Word and then people will give to God's cause. 
And we found that true all through the years in this church. There's times we had to preach without money. But I preached just as strong without it as I would with it if I didn't have it. In fact, I preached just about as many years without it as I have with it. But thank the Lord I get a little bit of it now to help me along. Thank God for that. That I don't have to do it without it anymore. But, you know, the thing about it is if a preacher is called to preach, you ought to preach the Word regardless. And there will be some real influential guys, you know, and some guys that carry the money bag in the church and are saying, well, now, without my tithe, brother, it just not go. It'll go. And the Lord will work it out, and He'll provide it. And I'm thankful for every Christian in this church because I know you have these same convictions. I believe you do. And I, I'm, I'm thankful that you do. That God will take care of us. There's so many churches operate on the basis of selling and buying. And I get all this stuff, you know, in the mail. They'll send me stuff. Get all your young people to sell this candy. It's about a 25 or 50 cent bar, and they want to charge somebody 4 or $5 for it. And they want to get $3.50 of it and let the church have 50 cents or a dollar, maybe. If, go out and sell their big expensive candy. You know what happens to that? I throw it in the trash. But you know what I do? I, I've got a bad habit. It's really a bad habit. Before I throw something in the trash, I tear it half in two. So if I ever want to retrieve anything, I've got to put it back together. That's an awful thing. And one day we had a little old return. It was a check from one of the magazines that had been canceled out at some point in time as a refund. You know, and I saw that, that uh, magazine thing and and so I thought it was another one of their things. Well, here's a money, but money applied to your new subscription. So I just ripped it through, throw it in the trash. And my wife told me, says, you know, that was a refund check. I went out there in the trash and I dug it out and started gluing it together. And I got it glued back together and it had tape and it already had a little bit of grease on it and a few other things. I taped that thing back together and took it up there at the bank. They took it, but they thought it had been through the mail for sure. But anyway, when you throw something away, make sure you don't want it back. Or at least if I throw it away, make sure you don't want it back. Where were we? Okay, the influence of the bride. It says, the daughter of Tyre. We're not going to get both of these. We're not going to get this one if I don't hurry up. The daughter of Tyre shall be there with a gift. Even the rich among the people shall entreat thy favor. See, a a missionary church and a church that, that is a lighthouse... It says, even the rich among the people shall entreat thy favor. You you will gain the respect of the community and the people that you minister to. You can do that. And it says, the king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is wrought of gold. She's glorious glorious where? (coughs) Within. The garments of the bride. We speak of the garments of the bride. Wish I had time to, to give you a various... Well, Revelation 3 verse 18. Let me read this one for you. Revelation 3 and verse 18 says this, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. And look, look, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. White raiment. And that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve. Eye salve. They had anointment you put on your eyes when they were in needing of, of better sight and to control and to help the eyes. Anoint thine eyes with eye save. This is typical of the Holy Spirit's anointing of our eyes that we may see in spiritual things. And we need to ask God's direction in order that we see spiritual things. If we do not have God's direction, we cannot see spiritual things. But God's Holy Spirit will 
give you enlightenment into His Word. And that's the way you receive it. You ask God, say, God, I want you to help me to understand this Scripture. I want you to help me to see really what's here. And then He will just make it live to you. And it will be alive to you. Okay? The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is wrought of gold. She shall be brought unto the king in raiment of needlework. The fineness of, of her appearance in the presence of God. This all speaks of that time when we shall be presented to the Lord as believers without spot and wrinkle or any such thing. And says the virgins, uh, the virgins, her companions that follow her shall be brought unto thee. The companions of the bride, the friends of the bridegroom. Then with gladness and rejoicing shall they be brought. They shall enter into the king's palace, into the king's presence. By the way, we're going to be there, Revelation 19, verses 7 through 9. We read it earlier. And the king's presence in the king's palace before he comes back to this earth in power and great glory. Remember, we just referred to it. In fact, if you read Revelation 19, the, the latter part of it, you'll say he's coming as king of kings and lord of lords. He hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written which no man knew. And he's king of kings and lord of lords. And let's look at this. It says in, in verse 16, it says, Instead of thy father shall be thy children, whom thou mayest make princes in all the earth. We find the continuance of the church, of the people of God. The fathers may be gone, but instead of thy father shall be thy children. Perpetuity of the church. The Bible says in Ephesians 3, verse 21, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. Now listen. Throughout all ages, world without end. World without end. See, the Lord is going to continue His church. The Bible uh, teaches us that He's going to, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against. I heard an evangelist one time, went over to Almagorda where that building is on the right kind of brick building. Used to be a church and they got uh, little vehicles out there now, you know, Polaris or some kind, you know, parked out on the right as you're going down Magorda. Anyway, to make a long story short, this evangelist was there and he was preaching from Ezekiel and he said, now God's going, God's through with the church. He said the witness is going to have to be just individuals here and there. God's never going to be through with the church. Not in this age or in the age to come. It says, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. That's Ephesians 3, verse 21. The last thought, and we'll close. I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore shall the people praise thee forever and ever, the eternal praise promised to his own. Paul says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We'll take that next psalm. I was going to get two of them tonight, but our time ran out and, and uh, we won't get to it. But we thank you for your patience and your kind attention. Let's remember to pray for one another and to love one another and to keep the unity in the church in the bond of peace. You know, the Bible says uh, to be of one cord and one mind and one heart, one soul. And that's the way the church needs to be. And that we need to love one another with our whole heart. And then we'll have that unity of the spirit that we need to have. And I, try, I like to encourage that.